today on This Christian Life. I was actually a punk rocker, kind of an anarchist. Mark Casson was sent to prison for life and known for his violent temperament. I found myself in the Monterey County Jail. I was facing life plus 14 years from the state of California, and I was facing the death penalty from the Army. There was no hope for Mark. A man who at one time protected our country had done a 180. He was inside the system for attempted murder. I discovered that night that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than we are. If you are someone who takes walks late at night, especially in urban areas, you may wind up wandering past industrial complexes, abandoned lots, and hidden nightclub basements. These places are where you'll find underground fight clubs, where violent people go looking for trouble, to beat up people, and to get beaten up. This is also where you would have found our guest today, Mark. Mark was a member of US Army Intelligence, but he was also a lover of all things violent. Like most criminals, he didn't start out that way. My father died in 1974 when I was seven, and from that point on, my mom pretty much stopped going to church. I was actually a punk rocker, kind of an anarchist. Mark believed that when a wrong was committed, the penalty must be paid. So when a friend's wife committed adultery, he agreed to do the dirty work. He decided to kill the person responsible and help his friend get revenge. Enter Norma, a police officer on the beat, patrolling the streets with a fellow officer. She and her partner steered towards a dark corner of the road, looked up and saw a car parked in the shadows. They pointed their car towards the other car and turned on their brights. There, inside the car, was Mark and his would-be victim, just seconds before the killing was to take place. But Mark was ready for anything. He jumped out of the car, ready to kill the officer if he had to. But then, he realized there were two officers, and being outnumbered, he gave himself up. I found myself in the Monterey County Jail. I was facing life plus 14 years from the state of California. And I was facing the death penalty from the Army. I was in the jail for about two months and I got into a fight with the one Christian guy through the cell door. My punishment for getting in a fight with the one Christian was they put me in a cell block that had 10 Christians in it. There was a Gideon, a man with the Gideon International who came in every week and did a Bible study. Fast forwarding, I've been in the jail since September of 89 and we're about ready to choose a jury for my trial that's gonna start on a Monday. So I get out of the cell, I, I make my phone call to my brother, I sit down at the Bible study, and I, I tune the guy out. And I discovered that night that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than we are. He starts talking about walking in someone's shoes, and I don't remember the message, I just remember the shoe connection. And For the four years I was in high school, from ninth grade to the year after I graduated, I worked in a shoe store. 
And so I was intrigued by what he was saying. And then he started talking about having murder in your heart and hatred and all of these things. And I'm thinking, how does this guy know what's in my heart? Romans 8, 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. From Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. It was at that moment that the Holy Spirit just broke through and I underwent this radical change. What he started saying seemed true to me now. It seemed good, it seemed right. And so he gave me a pocket New Testament, the Psalms and Proverbs, and I went in my cell at about nine o'clock on Thursday night, and I read that thing cover to cover six times over the course of the weekend, and I cried out and confessed every sin I could ever remember doing. I was truly converted, I was changed. I had memorized one scripture, which is in Proverbs 3, verses four and five, and I know many people have memorized it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I went to court Monday morning. I met with my attorney below the court in the courthouse in Monterey, California, and I told her I was going to plead guilty. She was shocked. She's like, where is this coming from? You know, that's not the best course of action as your attorney. I advise you against it. And I asked her why, and she said, well, you might beat a couple of these charges and spare yourself some time in prison. And I said, you don't understand, I'm a Christian now, and I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm guilty, and I'm going to accept the punishment. I'm a new person now, and I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and, and I'm going to trust in Him. So we went up in the courtroom. When the judge came in, it got quiet. The commotion started back up. My, my attorney stood up, uh, we stood up and she said, Your, Your Honor, my client wishes to change his plea from not guilty to guilty. And this hush came over the courtroom. And in a moment of shock, the DA dropped his pen on the table and he stood up like he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And he said, Your Honor, the people will amend the complaint and we will drop counts two, three, and four and just go with count one in the life sentence, thereby sparing me 14 years of incarceration. Six weeks later, I found myself in Corcoran State Prison, and I got a letter from the Army reducing me in rank to private and discharging me under conditions other than honorable, but not dishonorable. So in God's magnificent grace, uh, not only was I converted, but I was spared 14 years of incarceration and not given a dishonorable discharge. Did Mark do his time? Absolutely nothing to do but study the Bible. I was a co-leader of a Bible study that met six nights a week for five years. Some of my closest friends are guys that I met during that season of my life, solid Christian brothers and men that I love and respect deeply. It was a welcome punishment, and it was exactly what he needed before God did the unthinkable in Mark's life. I knew from the time I was converted that I wasn't meant to be single. And so every day I prayed that God would bring me a wife someday. I had a brother um, named Nathan. Everybody called us the twins. We didn't look alike. But one day we were praying together and he said, hey, why don't you ask God to bring before you get out a woman that you could court in the visiting room. And that way, when you get out of prison, you're not looking for a wife with a felony conviction. I'm like, 
this guy's a genius. How did I not think of that seven years ago, right? Well, Nathan got out around 99 or 2000, and ultimately he introduced me to the woman that became my wife. I didn't know that he and his wife were matchmaking, and the only person she knew close by was the woman that became Nathan's wife, Janet. They had gone to college together and they were raised in a small Dutch denomination called the Netherlands Reformed Congregations. And so they asked her, hey, there's this guy in prison, would you write to him? And she said, no. She, she knew they were matchmaking and wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't. They said, hey, there's this lady out here who just moved here, doesn't know anybody, would you write her and encourage her? I was like, sure. So I wrote the first letter. She wrote me back and then she started visiting that April. She's an amazing woman because I'm in Monterey County, California, so in Soledad, and she's living near a place called Los Banos, which is about 75 miles away. She's a school teacher full time and she's working on her master's degree. And yet she managed to visit me four days a week most of the time. God was doing another unbelievable work in Mark's life. I mean, what kind of Christian woman would date a man known for violence, still in prison doing time? Seriously, if there was ever a guy with a negative score on his eligible bachelor scene, Mark was it. But then again, God is greater than all that. She grew up on a farm in Montana, and when she was growing up, her uncle did prison ministry. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a publishing house called The Gospel Mission out of Choteau, Montana, but that was founded by her uncle. And so when they were on the farm, her dad would bring former prisoners that he'd ministered to in prison to live in a trailer on the farm, and they ate at the table with the family and stuff. So the family, in some way, was prepared for me 30, 40 years ago. So her parents weren't shocked when she had told them that, you know, she had fallen in love with somebody who was in prison. And her mom said, hey, we're praying for whoever God has. He's a godly man, then we're, we're happy. The statement God provides applies to you. And only God gets to decide what you need, when. Think about it. You might have wanted a real truck when you were eight years old. But did you have the maturity to operate it? Probably not. Patience pays off. She was a perfect match for Mark. Of course, they patiently waited two years before they got married. Five days after Valentine's Day, he was set free from a life in chains. He assumed a new role, prisoner, but a prisoner redeemed by Jesus Christ with a new bond to his wife and holy matrimony. If you think of the word providence, it literally means providere, two Latin words, to see beforehand. And so in, in some sense, God prepared beforehand them to accept me when I came along. God is a good God. I'll give you, give you an example. When I was released from prison, 14,400 life prisoners went to parole hearings, and 121 of us got out. If you do the math, that means seven out of every eight men were denied parole. Mark was the only one allowed to go free. When you stop to think about how small of a percentage chance that is, less than 1%, and yet God opened the door for me. I don't know why. I don't know why I got a treatment that so many other lifers didn't get, why he opened the door for me. There were so many guys that I know that 
also went to parole hearings to that time that were Christians that were deserving, well more deserving than me. And yet I walked through the door. It's all of grace is the truth of the matter. God's grace and sovereignty are absolutely amazing to me. Well, isn't that even the basic essentialness of the gospel is that we don't deserve it. There's no reason we should get it. And it's all grace. 100%. And once again, Mark has decided it's payback time. Not payback as in beating up someone for a wrong they've done. No, Mark is into a new form of payback or more like pay it forward. He's back in prison, not as a captive, but setting the captives free. The first thing I want everyone to know about prisoners is they're just like you and me. If you think about the great men of scripture, I mean the greatest men of scripture, the Apostle Paul, he was a first century terrorist. The Apostle Peter, he was guilty of assault with a deadly weapon, assault with intent to do great bodily harm, right? You think of David, he was guilty of both adultery, sexual crime, as well as murder. Uh, You think of Abraham who uh, sold his wife twice, not once, but twice. He was willing to give up his wife to harm, to protect his own skin. These were not good Christian folk that we love. If you want to witness to criminals, you don't have to visit a prison to do it. Mark says there are lawbreakers everywhere. I have not yet met anyone in my life who's not a criminal. And I ask that often when I speak at churches, how many other criminals in the room? And most people don't raise their hand. And then I say, well, how many of you sped on your way here today? You went, drove faster than the posted speed limit. And then the chuckles start and there's an uncomfortableness. And I say, well, why don't you consider yourself a criminal? And so the idea that we all need to learn is that the so-called criminals that are in our prisons and jails are no different than any of the rest of us. Any of us could be there at any time. If you've ever texted while driving, the only reason you're not in prison is the grace of God. The only reason you didn't get into a car crash while you were doing so is by the grace of God. I know men who are in prison for distracted driving accidents who killed somebody while they were distracted driving, whether that distraction was doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Eating a cheeseburger, getting into a car crash puts you in jail. And so you're not not in jail because you're better than somebody else. You're not in jail because God is gracious to people like us. There are roughly 150,000 evangelical men and women incarcerated in our country right now, 150,000 of our brothers and sisters behind bars. The question is, what are we doing as a church to serve them? What are we doing to disciple them? What are we doing to welcome them into our church when they get out? What are we doing to help them find employment and other things when they're out? My call to the church is to remember the prisoner, as Hebrews 13 says in verse 3a, remember the prisoner as though you're chained with them and those who suffer for they are in the body also. I think for most people getting out of prison, there isn't an amount of shame. They don't want to talk about that they were in prison, those types of things. And so having a friendly person alongside you that can introduce you to people, and this is my friend Joe, and things like that, it's just helpful. And it makes it more likely that you'll continue going to church. The church has to be different than the world. The world is going to say, I don't want you here. I don't want you to work here. I don't want you to live here. The church has to be different. We have to be merciful. We have to be gracious. We have to be loving, kind, caring. Those are the fruit of the Spirit that we have to demonstrate, even to people we might find despicable. There are many people who wander into churches alone. Some of them were formerly incarcerated. 
They sit in the same spot every Sunday, careful not to encroach upon the space of others, as if their very presence would somehow corrupt the happy, well-adjusted families and church workers that surround them. Coming from prison, they feel tainted in many, many ways. They feel less than, like an outsider. But they're not. They're the same as you and me, imprisoned by sin, deserving of death, raised to life, a completely new creation in Christ. These, the despicable ones, are your brothers and sisters in the faith, the ones God wants us to love as we love ourselves. In our country, we've been so in tuned and so inclined and so brought up on this us versus them mentality that it is filtered into the church that we do look at these people as lesser than. I've been denied employment. I've been denied housing because I have a felony conviction. Like, why is that? You were once in prison, but here's what God did for you. God erased your criminal record, your sin, as if it never happened. And it was all done by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's the same for you, the ex-convict, the old woman in church next to you, everyone, if they put their faith in Christ. God has tossed your sin out of court. It cannot be used as evidence against you because Jesus has already paid the price for you in this Christian life. If you'd like to learn more about how you can serve prisoners for Christ, visit metanoiaprisonministries.org or click the link in our show notes to find out more. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.